0: What's up Achievers? It's Monday, February 6th, 2017. This is episode 88. So uh, how about that Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, I don't uh, really care about sports, but of course I was rooting for the underdog Atlanta Falcons. Uh, you know, I uh, there's something in my nature that wants to always go uh, where everyone else doesn't want to go. So uh, Patriots have won enough, don't you think? They've won enough. They don't need to win again. <laughs> uh, I don't even want to, since I'm not a sports person and I can't speak with much authority uh, on that, uh, I will just say my understanding is that they're a bunch of cheaters. <laughs> okay, settle down, settle down. Don't send me an email. Don't send me an email. Anyway, uh, I thought that uh, the game was uh, really good. Uh, most of the commercials were uh, not great. Um, but I did enjoy this, uh, 84 lumber ad. Anyway, I watched the, uh, I watched the rest of the ad, uh, before taping today's show, which was kind of a mistake because of the, uh, waterworks. It was, uh, kind of emotional and, uh, uh, if you hadn't seen the ad, it's basically a mother and a daughter that are uh, crossing the desert uh, from Mexico to the United States. And the closing statement of the ad is the will to succeed is always welcome here. And I won't tell you how the ad ends. If you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. Uh, you should definitely check it out. There was a uh, sort of similar uh, Budweiser ad that was commenting on uh New policies of the new presidential administration. You know that you suck when even Budweiser uh, is commenting on your policies in their Super Bowl ad. These ads cost millions of dollars. Uh, so it says a lot that they would take the time to speak out in this way. I thought the Budweiser ad was also uh, very cool, showing uh, the uh, founder of uh, Budweiser traveling as an immigrant and all the uh, struggle that he went through to get to America. Um, And uh, this 84 Lumber Company, though, they're based in uh, Philadelphia. It was their first Super Bowl ad. It cost $15 million, and Fox censored the ad and forced them to put the second half of it, the conclusion of the ad, online. Um, The company was founded in 1956 by a guy named Joe Hardy, uh, and the company is now run uh, by his daughter, Maggie. Uh, But here's the amazing thing, everybody, (laughs) if you didn't know this, Joe Hardy... The founder of the company was a Republican, a Republican uh, like officer in the party and his daughter, the current CEO of company, of the company, according to the New York Times, voted for Trump. She said that the ad was a means to recruit employees in their 20s who, quote, believe in American dreams. And she is worried about, quote, the labor shortage her company is facing. Wow. Just wow. Wow. Uh, Anyway, this is a uh, mixed bag like a lot of things these days, I guess. But I did enjoy the ad and the message of the ad. I thought it was cool. And uh, today I'm always thinking about the uh, will to succeed and what people go through uh, to take care of their families and to achieve their dreams. Pretty cool. Uh, Also, they played a Stranger Things 2 ad uh, that got me all excited. And then they said it was coming out at Halloween. (laughs) That's like eight months from now. Ugh, I hate that when they do that. You get all pumped up. Yes, Stranger Things, season two. I'll forget that that's even happening by the time it happens. So if you've been uh, following along, you know that I got through all my shows at work and I was uh, under the impression that things might slow down, but I had maybe one of the busiest weeks uh, in recent memory. (laughs) The last three days of uh, work last week, especially flew by as one day blurred into the next. Uh, We had our first rehearsals for the new show season uh, for Pink Floyd. Uh, In that show, we're doing Dark Side of the Moon, the entire album and Animals, the entire album. We've done The Wall twice at my school. Uh, we're doing a Kiss show on Fridays and uh, The Clash on Saturdays. And this Tuesday, uh, tomorrow, we have a our first Queen rehearsal. It's going to be a cool show season. Of course, I'm most excited about The Clash. Uh, one of my parents used to be a rock photographer when he was in his 20s during the late 70s in New York. And uh, he brought in to show me this weekend a full page of slides of photos that he took of The Clash at their first show in New York City at the Palladium in 1979. And uh, they were absolutely incredible color photos. I couldn't stop looking at them. Uh, He was like in the second row and and, uh, just unbelievable uh, to see those. Uh, We had the kids in the Clash show uh, for the first rehearsal. They watched Westway to the world documentary on the clash. And there's a section in there where they talk about a series of shows that the clash played in 1981 to support their Sandinista record, which is just had just come out at the time. And uh, the site of the concerts was this former Bonds department store, which had been uh, it had also been like a casino and had been converted into a concert hall. And the promoters of the shows uh, deliberately oversold the eight shows originally scheduled. And the venue held like uh, around 1,800 people, but they sold 3,500 tickets uh, every night from go- from the first night on. And uh, the New York City Fire Department shut the uh, first show down. And so The Clash uh, was forced to double the amount of dates uh, to 17 shows in 15 days. Uh, to accommodate all the tickets sold and Joe Strummer commented in the documentary. I was watching a little bit of it, uh, that, that it nearly killed them. That's <laughs> what he said. Um, but they wanted to, uh, you know, because of their integrity and everything like that, they wanted to make sure that everybody got to see them. And, uh, they did denounce the promoters. Uh, there was a small riot when the first show was canceled and fans had to be cleared off the street by mounted police, um, and here's an interesting footnote. They had a different opener for every night of these shows. And just listen to some of the bands that opened for these shows in New York in 1979. The Fall, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, the Dead Kennedys, Bad Brains, Lee Scratch Perry. Uh, they had a lot of hip hop groups and many of these uh, uh, Hip hop artists were picketed, if you can believe that, or booed off stage. And later, Melly Mel of the Funky Bunch said, when they tried to perform the section of the song "Beat Street" where they're like, "Hey, say ho," the audience would yell back, "Fuck you!" <laughs> can you imagine seeing the clash with Bad Brains in New York City in 1981? Holy cow! Uh, anyway, there's a lot of bootlegs out there of these shows, um, and but several of them were professionally recorded. I, I was able to find. Uh, a a high quality from the board on YouTube uh, of one of those shows that that was the opening to this segment. Um, By the way, you can understand uh, why these uh, showgoers were so upset when the original show was canceled because, you know, they paid a lot of money. They paid $10 whole for their tickets. (laughs) $10 to see The Clash and Bad Brains in New York City in 1981. Wow. So, my last thought uh, today, this morning, is uh, something I've been thinking about a lot lately, and that is perception versus reality and uh, how that's related to context and and how in these uh, interesting times we're living in, it seems like context is more important than ever. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Gorilla Biscuits from New York City. They're a New York hardcore band, and uh, their singer's uh, name is Anthony Civarelli, uh, but he is he goes by the moniker of Civ. And uh, he had in the 90s and a band called Civ, And, uh, anyway, Gorilla Biscuits was playing at this, uh, hardcore, this is hardcore show this, uh, last year in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And, uh, he had said something, uh, from stage to the effect of, um, you know, I can't believe we still have to say this, but of course, black lives matter, all fucking lives matter or something like that. So of course what, uh, many, uh, online news things and people ran with, and younger, more ignorant people uh, ran with. Was uh, you know that he said all lives matter, and now somehow he's a bigot. <laughs> and the problem with this is, is that that uh, his band uh, wrote one of the very first uh, anti-racist anthems of the entire hardcore scene. Here's CIV a short while after that original incident, introducing the same song at a different festival in Atlanta.
1: I've, uh, I've had a bit of an interesting week myself. And by interesting, I mean shitting. So while Luke sets up and fix his drums, I want to tell you a quick story if you'll indulge me. In 1987, I came to Atlanta for the first time with Youth of Today as a roadie. And everybody went out to get dinner, and Ray Capo and I hung out to watch some bands. And the straight edge kids, and hardcore kids, they were like, these fucking skinheads, these fucking Nazis, they won't let us dance. So I this seems fucking ridiculous right now, but 1987 was a real thing. And Ray Capo being Ray Capo, he started fucking with them, blah, blah, blah. We got into a huge fight with these guys, me, Ray, and RJ. Now, fast forward. There is everybody at these shows. There is nobody, seek there There is no fucking Nazis. There is nobody spitting on you when you sing a song. And this is due to you and this music scene. Now I still believe that we are all one people. We are one race, the human race. But there are powers against us. You understand what I'm saying? Not everybody in this world is treated equal. And until we fucking have that, we have to stick. we have to keep fighting, we have to keep talking. We need a dialogue. We need face-to-face conversations. And that is what I believe. Black, white, gay, straight, transgender, whatever you want to call yourself, you are with us. This song is called Dengue.
0: So think about that. Here's a guy that for decades has been playing in the hardcore scene and preaching a message of equality and uh, how we're all one and unity and all this stuff. And because he used the phrase all lives matter, which has become politically charged, uh, all these people on the Internet. And otherwise, younger people, people that have no context, people that don't know history uh, have labeled him a racist. And I doubt that many of these people have bothered to go back online and read statements or read articles or, or uh, you know, learn about things. And that is the problem of a lot of issues in the times that we're living in. People say things. People get offended. Everyone's uh, the outrage meter is pegged. We've got an orange alert in the outrage meter. And, uh, you know, you, they judge people's entire lives on a statement without even knowing anything about the person or what they're about or, you know, who is this guy? You know, what is this coming from? What is he really trying to say? It's like uh, the history and context of a person doesn't even matter anymore. You say one, put your foot in your mouth or say things uh, in a way that's not uh, deemed OK by the uh, the Internet or whoever, and uh, you're screwed. You know, you're out labeled to be this horrible person. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was in church, uh, (laughs) just hold on here with me. Uh, you know, um, I'm definitely not a person that raises my hands in the air at church. Uh, if you tell me to clap, there's uh, about a 100% chance that I will definitely not clap. I am not going to give a hand uh, to Jesus. I'm not gonna, uh, clap along with everybody else that I'm happy to be in church. Uh, I'm just not going to do that. That's not me. I don't like to do it. It makes me uncomfortable. Uh, It's not, um, you know, it's not my context. It's not who I am. Um, So I'm just here in church and I'm noticing, you know, I'm I'm just thinking to myself uh, week after week, I see these people get, they got their hands in the air. They look like they're way into it. And uh, I just thought like for a minute, it's a little off topic, but I was just, my thought, actual thought was, are you really into this that much every single week? kind of gives me a complex, like, I mean, I'm, I love Jesus, but I don't, I don't seem to love Jesus. Like you people love Jesus and see, that's a perception. I'm putting a judgment on these people. I don't know them. They don't know me. You know, here I am this guy that comes in week after week. I'm dressed head to toe in black. Uh, I've got tattoos. Um, sometimes I sing, sometimes I don't yesterday was the day I didn't feel like singing. So I didn't sing. So I'm standing here, all black tattoos, silent, uh, not really participating, not clapping, not raising my hand when they tell me to raise my hands. And I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that somebody that goes to this church that sees me and looks at me, they must think that I'm some lost person or some angry uh, guy who has uh, been drugged here to church or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm a little uh, dragged there. There's a little truth to that. <laughs> but I've been in church my entire life. I've been part of uh, things associated with Christianity for my entire life. Cornerstone festivals, working at Tooth and Nail Records, everything. And it would be so easy for someone to listen to portions of this podcast out of context or listen to things that I've said out of context and easily think like, oh, that guy's not a Christian. He hates Christians. He's against the church. He's against whatever. It'd be easy just to look at me at face value and just go, wow, why is that guy even here? He's just not, he's not playing along with what everybody else is doing. Um I had some other friends that are uh, dealing with a, an, an incident that happened at their school uh, where some kids at a at a game chanted something that was considered, uh, it's being considered now a hate crime. And, uh, and the spin in the media and everything is, you know, I can't make a judgment one, one way or the other. I wasn't there. But it's insane the times that we're living in and this perception versus rea- reality and context, how. Uh, like the example I use is, uh, you know, uh, my wife said something about and she's Italian, something about oh, your big uh, meatball head or something or whatever to, you know, that could be seem racist to somebody out of context or whatever. Something that I joke about with my friends who know me, uh, you know, that I would say to them if they t- if it was hurtful, they would tell me and I would never say that again. Uh, But taken out of context, you know, you can easily uh, villainize and demonize people and whatever. And all I'm all I would like to say today, my plea to everyone today is, can we just take it down a notch? (laughs) Can we just uh, slow down a little bit? And instead of just these massive rushes to judgments about people, can we just hold our tongue a little bit instead of just hopping right on the Internet and expressing our outrage and and whatever else there's. Plenty, Believe me, there is plenty to be outraged about. There are policies that are outrageous. I mean, I haven't really I've kind of danced around a lot of this stuff, but obviously a blanket uh, executive order that prevents people that are legally in this country from returning people that have been legal resident alien citizens of this country because they happen to be from some country that has shitty people in it. Hello, America has plenty of shitty people in it. Uh, to do a blanket thing to prevent that person from coming back and being reunited with their family is an obvious bullshit policy and should be uh, condemned and rejected by people. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just saying in general, we are so quick to rush to judgment uh, on people and on things that we have no context for. Uh, Let's just be careful, can we? Can we just return to a little bit of giving people the benefit of the doubt and letting their actual actions over time, not something they even uh, the context of history is important. You know, I've done things in my life and said things, uh, you know, at 16, 17, 18, 19 years old that I would never say again. Now at 48, I would never say those things. You know, there's things that I said from stage about, you know, guilting people into uh, walking down the aisle and, and uh, giving their life to Jesus or whatever that I would never say. I read a letter on this show uh, where I kicked band members out of my band for bullshit uh, that I would never do now. But you take that out of context and boy, that that power guy, boy, what a dick, you know, and uh, we're imperfect people. We make mistakes. And, uh, it just seems like more and more people are being, uh, held, held out, uh, in the you know court of public opinion and, uh, rush, everyone's rushing to judgment so quickly. And, uh, you know, I love in the, uh, movie gross point blank where John Cusack plays a, uh, you know, killer for hire who's returned to his high school reunion and, uh, his girlfriend calls him a fucking psycho and he says, Oh, you know. I really wouldn't rush to judgment on that until all the facts are in. <laughs> and this is a good way to live our lives. Let's not rush to judgment until all the facts are in. And if you don't know something about somebody and you don't know about their life or where they're coming from or whatever, maybe just shut the fuck up. Maybe just hold your tongue. Maybe you don't need to say something. Maybe you don't need to comment on that thing. Maybe just think, what would you feel like if that was you? Let's extend grace to people. And love everybody. This means we don't assume that people that are from certain countries are all terrorists, or people of certain religions are all terrorists, or that uh, you know people that like football uh, or MMA are all ignorant uh, idiots. <laughs> let's uh, let's just take it down a notch. All right. Have a good week. got a little fired up there on a Monday. I <laughs> got a little fired up this morning. Uh, be good to each other, would you? Thanks for listening to this week's show. The opening and closing theme music were written and performed by Ethan Luck. You can check out Ethan at ethanluck.bandcamp.com. I got links in the show notes to the New York Times story about The Clash, a Little Bowery Boys blog page about Bond's Uh, the link to the high quality audio of the class show, a little gorilla biscuits link uh, for YouTube there. If you want to check out any of that stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I got going on. If you want to follow the show, you can, uh, go to urban achiever PC on Instagram. You can email me anytime at Billy at urban achievershow.com. I appreciate always hearing from you guys. And, uh, If you want to uh, contribute financially to the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash urbanachiever. You can do a dollar a month if you want. If you want to just do a one-time donation to the show, uh, you can do that at urbanachievershow.com. Helps me keep this show commercial free, which is how I'm sure we all like it. And uh, in the meantime, keep your head up and keep up the good work. I'm proud of you.
1: tracked out in your life, but I'm not going to do it. It's either because I'm in love with your daughter or I have a newfound respect for life. That punk is either in love with
0: that guy's daughter or he has a newfound respect for life.
1: Debbie, I'm in love with you. I know we can make this relationship work. It's not easy for me. I always control my emotions. I just need time to change. (laughs)